the request which starts this gospel lesson, or question, if you will, and the answer or response are both critical for understanding this Sunday and the Gospel of John itself. There are a number of Greek pilgrims at the festival, and they come up to Philip and say, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. How many of us, at our deeper moments, have felt the same. And so as good disciples, Philip and Andrew take their requests seriously and bring them to Jesus. And there is where, at least for our time and our culture, things get a little strange. Let your mind's eyes imagine it. The camera is moving in on Jesus. This is a very important moment. The drums are rolling silently in the background. The lights placed just out of camera view and behind Jesus are coming up to give him that halo effect. And Jesus says, if you want to see me, if you want to see what I'm all about, if you want to become my disciple, you need to look at my death. You need to look at that moment where I'm being raised high above the earth for all to see. You need to understand I have chosen this way. How strange a thing, at least in our day, you know, the churches that are growing really quickly, when newcomers appear, they are given a latte to sip during the pastor's sermon. Rest and be relaxed. But here, if you want to see Jesus, you must look at the cross. The cross has been honored and glorified. It has been done 
in music and art, and much of that is well-deserved because it is at the center of Jesus' life. And for this gospel writer, if you want to understand life in its essence, you indeed must see Jesus, this bread of life, this light of the world, this way and truth. But the cross has also been much abused, much misused. And I am not going to try today to explain the fullness of the cross. I've read the theories from Irenaeus in the second century to Gregory of Nyssa in the fourth to Anselm, the Bishop of Canterbury in the 11th. And none of them, none of them explains its fullness and meaning. And much of what those theories say diminish both Jesus and God. So first, let me say a few things about the misuse of the cross. To make the cross into a cult object, a thing of adoration, is a dangerous thing. A dangerous thing. This cross was and is a scandal. This is not the way a Messiah lives and dies. Jesus was not crucified on a silver cross that rested on a marble altar, but on the city dump between two thieves. This is a scandal and an outrage. This cross has been used to glorify suffering. To say suffering is good. And if you happen to be suffering because you're poor, or an outcast in this society, or the victim of an abusive spouse. There is nothing good about that kind of suffering. It needs to be fought against, not celebrated. Suffering cannot be justified so that somebody else will have privilege.
So if that is not what suffering or the cross are about, what is the cross about? The cross rightly understood reveals what Jesus and God are all about. Jesus came and he taught and he healed and he fed the hungry and clothed the naked. And then he realized that's not enough. He had to confront the injustices, the oppression and the cruelty that brought those things about. That's why he went to Jerusalem to confront what is evil and unjust and as it often did, does, it led to his death. The cross rightly understood is seen as the love of God in an effort to heal a broken world. God did not demand this because his honor was bruised by human sin. But God loved and loves humankind and wanted us to be redeemed. So Jesus had to confront evil and injustice. I think those are very important points to make this week. Most of you have read the stories about the murders in France, the killing of three innocent Jewish children and their rabbi and three soldiers. What you may not realize is that much of the anti-Semitism throughout history has taken place in Holy Week. Some would say fully 90% of it on Good Friday. This is wrong. And good people need to name it and fight against it. And similarly with the death of the young black boy in Florida. Too many young black men die because we are not as strong and clear and careful as we should be. Jesus saw these things and wanted to label and defeat them. And so in gratitude, that's what sacrifice means, he gratefully assumed our burdens in thanksgiving 
and offered us, as a result, redemption. It's a way of life. It is a way of being. And if we want to see, follow Jesus, we must understand it. So that's where this little metaphor in the middle of this gospel lesson speaks to me. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who joined us on the Ash Wednesday service we did for children will remember that we started by burning last year's palms and then the children helped me grind them up into ashes. And then we went into North Hall and watched a short piece of The Lion King. That part of The Lion King where Simba, the king's son, is marked on his forehead as one of their own. And in the background, and the kids all knew this, the chorus was singing the circle of life. The circle of life. And so then, before we marked each other's foreheads, we talked about the circle, the cycle of life. That things are born, and they mature, and they die. And I brought in a, an Easter, no, it wasn't an Easter, a lily I had. And one of the branches still had a bloom, gloriously young and beautiful. On another branch, the petals had all fallen off, and the seed pod had started to develop. And when I asked the children about it, they said, the flower has to die for the seed pod to be formed. And then the seed, the seed pod needs to shrivel and die and fall to the earth to nurture the seed. And the seed needs to die for a new flower to be born. And then we talked about living and dying. And what's really important is how fruitful we are between those two ends. And we marked each other's foreheads. It is a way of life. So I want to close with a story. There was a pastor walking down the street not too far from where I lived 
in Philadelphia, about a hundred years before I lived there. And he countered a young girl sobbing. He stopped and asked what was going on. And she said, I, I wanted to go to Sunday school, but they, they told me there was no room for me there. And the pastor looked down at her, at her disheveled and torn clothing, and he understood what had happened. So he took that little girl by the hand and brought her into the church and into the Sunday school. That night, that little girl went to bed thankful and praying that all children would have the possibility of getting to know Jesus as she had had. As it turns out, within two years, she died. Died in one of those tenements for the very poor. And her family called that pastor and asked him if he would do her funeral. And he came, and as he lifted her out of her bed, he realized laying underneath her was a small red purse, cracked and worn as if it had been rummaged from the trash. He opened it, and there were 57 cents inside. And a note, I hope these pennies will help build a bigger church so more and more children can find out about Jesus. The pastor knew exactly what he had to do. He took that purse into the pulpit and challenged the church and its deacons to raise the money for a new church. But it didn't end there. The story was published in the newspaper. A rich real estate magnet called and offered the church ground for their new church, but they could not afford it. So he sold it to them for 57 cents. And checks started rolling in from near and far. The next time you're in Philadelphia, go see Temple Baptist Church. It holds 3,300 people. And there's a huge church school next to it and another building almost as big where biblical scholars taught church school teachers around the world. And then turn and look in the other direction and see Temple University, all of which started 
with those 57 cents. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit.